You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Tracking the Storm podcast and folks... What a week in Canadian history. McDavid and Drysaddle combined for 11 points. Edge won the Royal Rumble. And most importantly of all, Stephen Lorenz made his NHL debut. My name is Matthew Soma, exclusively known as Kane's Prospects in the Twitter world. I am joined by two wonderful people that need no introduction, but we're going to give it to them anyways. Alex future canes and brandon at bw stanley 26 yeah i don't have a very interesting name do i <laughs> we've got to get you a bit homework you like homework a- i know i know homework <laughs> well, i was trying to run on the lafreniere hasn't scored yet train for a while but that ended pretty quick actually you could always there's always still room on the eichel's a bust train that oh. my friend tried to start <laughs> yeah i'm not sure how well that one's going bud but how's everybody doing this week? I mean, the Canes coming off of a pretty hellacious three-game stretch against, first of all, Tampa, and then you get a back-to-back against the Dallas Stars. And granted, a very injured Dallas Stars, but it's the Dallas Stars. They just made it to the cup final. I mean, you can't help but be um, but be happy with the effort, right? I mean, you're without Teravainen, you're without Slavin, you're without Martinuk. A good good percentage of your core leadership group is not there. And, uh, you know, you bring up these guys from the taxi squad. Lorenz gets in for his first game. Geeky comes in. Bean comes in. And, you know, these guys gave it their all. They gave they gave uh, good effort. And, um, you know, you, you can't fault it. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something we're going to circle back to on Lorenz for sure. But, um... Oh, of course. <laughs> All of them look really good. I mean, I thought Bean definitely had his moments as well. Um, even Rimple, Rimple, how, how the hell do you say his name? Anyway, Sheldon Rimple, I guess that's right. But, um, I mean, especially game one, man, that first period of that first game really seemed to set the tone for me because um, that line was extremely noticeable. I tweeted, that was one of the first things I tweeted from our account, actually, the podcast account yeah, was like, holy crap, like this AHL line was fantastic. I mean, they were constantly creating pressure in the offensive zone. And I, like I said, I, th- I really think they set the tone for the next three games. So with Jake Bean, uh, we'll start with him first because he's obviously probably the more well-known of the newer players. Um, Bean was fine. He, he was getting involved offensively. He looked 
comfortable in his own end, which is something that he hasn't really done in the past. I mean, you saw shades of that in Charlotte where, you know, he'd make a few defensive plays, but then there were times where he'd kind of pull back and turtle a little bit and it would cause a turnover and maybe not necessarily a good offensive chance, but a loss in possession regardless. Um, So I thought he looked fine. Um, Do I think he performed well enough to take a spot away from anybody? Not really. But the Kings defense as a whole was outstanding while missing arguably your best defenseman. And um, you have to give credit to the other guys too. I mean, guys like Rempal, um, even McCormick, you know, they're, they're veterans at the pro level. They might not be NHL veterans, but they've played professional hockey for a long time. And these are guys that know the game. They know how to step in and they know to fill a role. And they did just that. They, I mean, we saw offensive opportunities, but we also saw just some, just some grit and grind and that's good old fashioned Rod Brennamore hockey right there. Um, I think the player that's probably stood out and I think he stood out to most of Kane's Twitter. Um, and I appreciate this the most, the Steven Lorenz uh, hype train. I mean, he filled a depth role perfectly. And yes, he's playing with Jordan Stahl, who's going to make, you know, a depth role player look a little better than he is. But Lorenz looked fine on he his He earned own. that bump, though. He wasn't originally there. Just saying. Yeah, like he, he made a few really just heady plays, just breaking up a couple defensive rushes or, you know, using his stick to get in the shooting and passing lanes. And, you know, he, he got involved offensively, which wasn't a thing that I was, was expecting just because, I don't know, when I think Jordan Stahl's lines, I think usually defensive starts, but he was getting involved. I mean, we saw he got his first point, which was a pretty great play in transition. But um, I, Lorenz was probably the only standout. I think Bean was good, but nothing to really write home about unless I just totally missed something. Yeah, for the most part, I think I would definitely agree with what you said. I think I think the key part of these last three games was you guys just know that depth is going to be a huge factor this year, especially with COVID and all, you know, the condensed schedule. And so, you know, it was good for these guys, guys like Bean, guys like Lorenz, get, get in there, get their feet wet, and, you know, generally prove that they could play at the NHL level especially when you you know depth is really going to be tested. It's going to be a big factor this year. And um, like I would probably agree with you, Matt. I don't, I don't know if anybody really stood out enough that I would consider putting them in the lineup when all the bodies return. But with Lorenz, man, I mean, he really showed the characteristics that you look for in a bottom six player, right? He's got, he's got speed. He's got heart, determination. He was gritty. You know, he actually kind of reminded me, remember when Warren Fogle first came up like three years ago and he was relentless, had a relentless motor and the fans kind of just like, they kind of clung on to him the same way that they did with Lorenz for these past three games. And maybe not this year, but I think he can definitely have a legitimate role going forward, especially with the upcoming free agency decisions to make, especially with the bottom six, you've got Martinook unrestricted you've got McGinn unrestricted Fogel he's restricted but maybe he's expendable or a little redundant especially if guys like Lorenz can emerge so I think overall it was good for for the group as a whole to get a look at these guys and you know they played some good hockey man I mean Lorenz's first point Bean showed some stuff and I mean 
Drew Shore, Max McCormick, you know, we're not expecting them to light up the league or anything, but I mean, they were serviceable in their role. And I think that's a pretty good, pretty good feeling for the team to have, uh, know they have these guys if they need to rely on anybody else that's not on the current uh, roster right now, you know? Yeah, depth is going to be huge. And that's the one advantage that I think the Hurricanes have over maybe a team like, uh, let's say like a Nashville, where um, if they get hurt, like if one of their players gets hurt, slim pickings over in Nashville. And we kind of saw um, in Chicago's exhibition game that there's not a ton of talent that they sent to Chicago. And granted, neither did the Canes, but they at least have, you know, Joey Keane. They had Sheldon Rump. They had players who ended up playing for the Hurricanes and doing a fine job. Nashville doesn't really have that. And so that's where the Canes, you know, if this trend with, you know, all these COVID absences and good Lord, the Hurricanes are dropping like flies injury wise, like that's what's going to set the Canes apart over the course of the season is that depth for sure. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much agree with you guys. You hit the nail on the head is it is almost good in some ways for these guys to have had, I mean, not the process, but the fact that they did get to get into these games and you saw that you could survive with Jake being playing on your defensive pairings or with, especially with Steven Lorenz and your forwards. Um, I, I think, especially with Bean, I think we really start to see him get comfortable and, and he started I think Matt mentioned he started to get a little bit more involved offensively. He made two stellar plays. Um, <clears throat> he had the little no-look feed to Flurry, then ended up being off the post. And then he had uh, that the game before that, the first game against Dallas, he had that slick feed cross-seam to Ajo that Jake Ottinger made a great save on. So he really could have two points right now. But um, and, and the thing that's really impressed me about Bean is he has made a lot of like heady plays, breaking the puck out of the defensive zone. And he's taken some big hits too, because uh, Dallas has a few heavy forwards on their team and they really put the pressure on him a few times. That's what you do with a rookie defenseman, you know, lean on him, see if he's going to cough it up a little bit. And Bean didn't seem to waver. So I was pretty impressed with that for sure. I mean, Bean lost his man on one goal, and I think it he got, was... He got caught on the pinch. You're right. Yep. Yeah. You're right. And he yeah. got kind of got kind of got caught watching, kind of chasing, pulled out of position. But, I mean, like, listen, when, when Rod Brindamore... that's the worst reviewing... mistake you make, though, you know... Exactly, right? When they're reviewing the tape, they're going to point that out, and he'll learn from that. He's a smart guy. And, I mean, to be in the NHL, you have to be able to adapt. And, I mean, if there's one thing Bean has done since he's been in the organization, it's adapt. Really impressive. Obviously, we had this long layoff and came back and had to face the two Stanley Cup finalists three times in four days. And I did make one comment. I, th- I thought they were starting to look a little bit gassed um, the end of game three last night. But the fact that they were able to battle back, Nino obviously scores a huge goal. They get into overtime and win it in the shootout. That says a lot about this group. And I think we're definitely starting to see the confidence skyrocket within them. I mean, it's, it's definitely a good start to the year and to be able to pull off three wins back to back to back like that after a long layoff and so much uncertainty is really impressive. So obviously the big piece of news to come out of these games is the McCormick Mrazic collision. Mrazic may need surgery. No idea how long he's going to be out for at this point. So this, uh, this opens the door for another guy in Alex Nadelkovich. What do you guys see happening there? Yeah, I'll start us off here. I think, you know, with Nedeljkovic, it's been it's been a long process, right, with his development. We've been waiting for this kid for a while. At every level, 
he's kind of, you know, he's made it to the top tier of goaltending back in, I think, what, 2014, the year he was drafted. He won the OHL Goaltender of the Year Award. You know, so he proves everything he can there. He comes into the AHL, kind of struggles to adapt a little. After a couple years, he ascends to the top there. 2019 wins the AHL Goaltender of the Year Award. Huge piece of their Calder Cup run. And, you know, it's kind of like Kaniacs are just waiting for when is Nedeljkovic going to get his opportunity? Eventually, you've got to ask the question if this regime, the new regime with Waddell, if they believe in him the same way that, you know, Ron Francis did because Ron Francis drafted him. You know, so these are all questions that are going to need an answer, right? Especially with restricted free agency on the horizon. I think this summer again for Nedeljkovic, he's, he's restricted, right? So again, he's going to need a new contract this summer. He already cleared waivers, you know, so when you waive a guy, you've already got a question what the trust is in him. If you're willing, right. if you're willing to lose him, you know, you're exposing him with the chance that anybody else can take him. Right. And I think this week we're going to see, we're going to get a bit of an answer on how the organization feels about Nadelkovic. Cause if you don't trust him to start one of the two games against Chicago coming up, then is you, you got to really question, is this, is this guy ever going to get a fair opportunity here? Should they try and find another place for him? Can he be the answer that we once thought he could be? You know, so there's there's going to be a lot of questions to answer with Nadelkovic. So the one thing I'll say um, before I go on to my little rant about Nadelkovic, because this is a very um, tough topic, um, is that the only reason he might have gone through waivers is so the Canes could not have his cap hit count against the cap. Because, yes, they have to pay him the same amount because he's on a one-way deal. However, if he's on the taxi squad, doesn't carry his cap hit to the NHL. So right. they save a wad of cash. I, I would say like that's fair. But to save a little cash versus you know, risking losing a guy that you believe in, like if they really believed in him to the point that they thought, you know, we think this guy is going to be a starter or maybe even a legitimate backup, or, you know, even a guy that can contribute to the team, I'm not sure they would have exposed him to waivers. That's also fair. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's the tough thing. Like, they know he's not going to play because you have two – I'm not going to say great options, but you have two solid goaltending options. You have a 1A and a 1B. Like, you yeah. have yeah. two starter caliber quality, that tier anyway. Yeah. yeah. You have a good tandem that can split starts 50 40 or, you know, like person or like 50. Good math, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> 50 30. That's what I meant to say, but you know. Um, this is why I graduated with a marketing degree, not a math degree. But so um, you have goalies who can go, you know, 45 35, you know, or whatever. You can split starts pretty much evenly and be just fine um with ned it's it's tough because yes he was a really good ohl goalie and yes he had that one good year in the ahl but if you look at every other year he's had at the ahl level including last season after he won the goalie of the year award he was just kind of average at the ahl level um Yes, he won games with the, the checkers 
And yes, he had, you know, some solid starts, but you have to also wonder if the team was also kind of there to lift him up because I mean, this is a guy who was rocking a safe percentage, barely over nine and winning 30 games a year. Cause I mean, the, and the checkers were, I mean, they're an AHL team, you know, it's, there's going to be inconsistencies. Like there's an obvious skill gap between the AHL and the NHL, but it's just like with, with Ned, it, it is an average goalie in the AHL rarely makes it as a good NHL goalie. And I think that's what the Canes are hesitant about right now. And um, I'd love to see him get a few consistent starts because really when he's seen NHL action, it was that one game against Columbus, you know, two, three years ago. And then it was that little stretch at the end of last year when both of our goalies were hurt. And again, in those games, Ned didn't really look like much. He had the one Vancouver, uh, yeah. Columbus, excuse me, relief appearance where, didn't he save, that was for Cam Ward a couple years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he faced 17 got... shots, he saved 17 <laughs> shots. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. he's had good games in net. Um, it, it's just the games that he didn't play well in, he really didn't play well in. And that was the... With the Canes, like, yes, Mrazek can be inconsistent. Yes, Reimer has his moments as well. I mean, the wraparound goal last night, a bit of a softy. But, like, your goalie has to be your most consistent player. And I think that's where the lack of confidence may lie in Alex Nedeljkovic in that he's occasionally not the most consistent goalie. And, like... I like the guy. I want him to succeed because the Canes haven't had a homegrown, drafted, and developed goalie since Cam Ward was drafted. Well, here, here's another thing to consider for me. I mean, historically, you look back, right, and trying to project a goaltender seems very, I guess, random would be the word, right? Like, there, there's there's not really a lot of measurables or or statistics and stuff to base off of. Like sometimes the guys just flip the switch and all of a sudden they're an elite goaltender from Jordan Bennington. He goes from the ECHL to winning the Stanley cup in the span of like a year. Right. So I think, you know, with Nedeljkovic, you've got a guy who has been among the elite now at every level he's played at. And it, it, I think it would kind of be a disservice to the organization, you know, to not at least give this guy a look, a legitimate look and say, all right, you know what? We're going to give you a run of games here and this is your chance. And he hasn't had that yet. That is one thing I kind of wanted to piggyback off of Alex. I was talking about how many years of development time have we put into Nedeljkovic yet? And he has shown the ability to do it at the NHL level, even if he hasn't done it consistently. So I, that's, that's the weird part about it to me is, in so many cases, you really don't know what you have in a guy until they play at the NHL level. You can only take so much from practice. You can only take so much from the AHL with AHL defensemen in front of you. You can only take so much away from that. So I think this is the perfect opportunity, as we've said. Give him a few starts, man. Just see what happens, and at least you can be more confident in your decision this summer. I totally agree. So, All right, so we'll move along now. Um, when we originally talked about it, we were kind of going to do the prospect of the week and see which player, you know, put up a big stat line, whatever the case may be. But if we do that, 
Jameson Reese is going to be on here every single week, and we just can't do that. So as much as I'd love to talk about him, every I know. Single week. Um, <laughs> you know me, I could do it. I could do it. Anyway, so for this week, um, we figured it would be fitting if we went to a player who was recently nominated for the Hobie Baker Award, annually awarded to the top college hockey player in the nation. And that is the University of Minnesota goaltender, Jack LaFontaine. Um, Yeah, yeah. Third round draft pick back in 2016. This kind of goes back to the discussion we were having earlier. Goaltender development, even more so than defenseman development, is very nonlinear. And it's kind of just a roll of the dice when you're taking a goalie, especially when you take them early. That's, that's why we never see them taken early. Right. And LaFontaine, uh, after a couple middling years now has kind of turned into, well, probably the best goalie in the NCAA right now in the senior season with the golden gophers. Well, so, I mean, Spencer Knight would like to, would like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So um, just real quick, uh, Spencer <laughs> Knight's numbers, Eight zero and one nine four five save percentage and a one eight seven goals against average with two shutouts, and Jack Lafontaine has three shutouts, a one thirty eight goals against average, thirteen and three record, nine forty eight save percentage. Jack Lafontaine, better goaltender, fight superior, me. absolutely, and there's <laughs> no need to look at age at all. Um, the the thing I always look at with Lafontaine is that, um, or with goalies in general, um, and I remember hearing this years ago and I don't remember who um, said it, but it's basically, you know, goalies, if you take, if you draft 10 goalies over the course of a few years, probably only three of them will see NHL games. And that's just kind of the nature. If you're the hurricanes, if that, (laughs) if you're the hurricanes, you'd be lucky to get one, but you know, like statistically or in this, you know, imaginary scenario, that's about what it would be. And with goalies, I mean, you got a guy drafted in the second round for the Hurricanes um, in Alex Nedeljkovic that has won Goalie of the Year awards at the OHL and AHL level that is struggling to be a backup at the NHL level. And you have, you know, um, I don't remember when Bennington was drafted, but this is just another example. And, like, I don't love the guy as a player, but, like, can't deny he took he won the Blues Stanley Cup. I don't remember when he was drafted, but like again, this is a guy coming up from the ECHL, seemingly out of nowhere, and then he's a good goalie at the NHL level. Just what seems like in an instant. Well, so- I mean, let me raise you an Andrew Hammond right from the 2015 season with my sons. I mean, there, there's just there's no reasoning or valid explanation for what happens. Just Goaltender gets hot at the right time, and um, it's like they're unbeatable, right? I mean, Bennington, he got hot during that run for St. Louis, and, I mean, has he been the same since? I would probably say no. But, I mean, historically, you look at teams that have won cups and teams that make it to the final, and it's they don't always have an elite goalie back there, right? I mean, last year, Hudobin goes on that incredible run for Dallas. Yeah. And I mean, you've got, you've got a lot of examples uh, that are like Bennington, you know, Matt Murray comes up out of nowhere, steals a show and bottoms out in Ottawa now. And well, to be fair, just... who doesn't, yeah. <laughs> ah, that was on a tee well, for well, me. We'll let that one slide. But, let... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah, it was a bunt, <laughs> 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 but it's like, 
you don't know what's going on with, with goalies a lot of the time. And I mean, I, I try not to pretend to know a ton about goalie development because it, it's not linear. And like, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to say that LaFontaine's a sure thing because I mean, you know, there's so much room for error. Oh, of course. At the very least, he's looking like a solid option for the Hurricanes. And I feel like that's kind of vague. Um, That's vague enough to give me a little bit of a cushion if I am wrong on either side. Like if he turns around and wins like, you know, six Fesnas in a row, like, you know, or if he just fizzles out in the AHL. But the thing is like, when you're drafting goalies, it's not going to take um, – it's not going to be quick. For example, Kachikov, we drafted in the second round, and I, on the regular, it's, get a question asking if he's a bust because this is his third team since we've drafted <laughs> him. And my answer is no. The KHL sucks at developing young prospects, period. Yeah. And the, o- the only young prospect I have seen succeed at the KHL level uh, in the past couple of years has been Vitaly Kravtsov for the Rangers. You might be able, I might be able to lump Amirov in that. Kaprizov? Yes, but Kaprizov's also like 25 now. Yeah, like, that, that's fair. He's been that's laying fair. ways to the that's KHL fair. for years now. That's yeah, fair. like it, it took, it takes players a while to earn their coach's trust for no reason in the KHL. Yep. And Kachikov, he was doing fine with Torpedo, um, but still hasn't seen a start in a couple of weeks and for no reason. So goalie development's just weird. I love LaFontaine, though. I think that he's going to be, at the very least, a solid option for the Hurricanes in the near future because there's not much else right now in the organization. I mean, I mean, for me, you cannot hide from the past, right? I mean, if you... If you go back into the history on Twitter, it, the tweets are there. I mean, I'd written LaFontaine off. Oh, so did like, I. Co- kind of completely. You know, after he left, where was he at? Michigan, I'm pretty Michigan, sure. Michigan, yep. When he left Michigan to go to the BCHL, which I was thinking he's 20 years old. You know, it's a huge, huge step back in terms of competition and the level of player that he's playing against. And, you know, I mean, even though he played pretty well there in that league, I would say, like, it just, it's not really inspiring considering his age and whatnot. And then last year he goes to Minnesota and he plays pretty well. I think they had another NHL goalie on the roster that he kind of split starts with. And, you know, he, I think he had a 919 save percentage, you know, pretty, pretty good, I would say. Um, And, you know, that kind of made me take notice of him again. Okay. Like maybe... Maybe he's turned it around, and you know this year he's this is his senior season now, right? He he's is a older draft pick. He's he's older than the players he's playing against now, and um, you know I would expect him. I would I'd say I'd expect him to be dominating that that level of competition the way he is. Yes, it's inspiring as in terms of his future overall, but what is he like? I think he's twenty three now, twenty two, twenty three. Yeah, he's 23. He's, yeah, he's 23, and he's playing against, you know, college competition. So, I mean. 18 well, to 22, 23. Well, I there's mean, some that are a little bolder, yeah, but, most, but the majority, yes. While I'm optimistic now about his future and, you know, maybe this guy can be a solid option one day, I still think he's got quite a ways to go, and he's still got a lot to prove. 
Yeah, but one thing I will say for that, I mean, <sighs> goaltender can definitely be a very mental position. Oh, and yes, sir. if nothing else, going to the BCHL and getting some A, consistent starts and B, good results has, I think, really probably done a lot for him and has, I mean, I guess you could say gotten his development back on track. But now we see what he's done at Minnesota and all of a sudden he's putting up huge numbers and getting nominated for the Hobie. So what it comes down to for me is next year, really, because he'll probably be in Charlotte. I mean, I'm. I'm assuming that'll be the Chicago. course of action. Yeah. Oh, did I say Charlotte? <laughs> All right. That's going to take some getting used to. Anyway, right. he will be in Chicago, I'm assuming, next year. So, yeah, like I said, next year will be the big determining factor in my belief in him. I definitely think he's on the right track. And, I mean, we need a hit at that position. That's, that's what it comes down to. So, here's hoping. Yeah. All right. So, moving on. Um, all right. So we really only got a couple of things left here. Um, I know Matt is going to want to ramble about this for a minute. And that, <laughs> we got most of our uh, Kane-centric content out of the way. So now we're going to float to one of the, I mean, biggest stories in the NHL right now, which is Tony D'Angelo. Obviously, there's all kinds of stories coming out ever since the decision to put him on waivers and – subsequently get unclaimed by all 31 teams or 30 teams, I guess, because the Rangers are going to claim themselves um, or their own player. Nobody really saw this coming. So I guess the question is now, A, what's next for D'Angelo? Do you see an NHL future in him? And B, how do you feel about the Rangers' response or handling of the entire situation is, I guess, the way to put it? Because well, I feel like it really enabled – this kind of behavior to develop and this is the kind of stuff we're trying to move away from is it not we want hockey to be more inclusive well we want let, let me start this off and then i'll hand the floor to matt because i just look at him he's he's, he's yeah ready to he's just waiting this one. he's so ready I'll, yeah i'll get i'll get my <laughs> thoughts out of the way pretty quick i mean i put out a tweet today i'll read out the tweet for for the listeners i said i said only three nhl defensemen last season had more points than tony d'angelo and with him clearing waivers today, he, that made him unwanted by 31 NHL teams. That just goes to show that no level of talent can overcome being a person. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, there. <laughs> so you, you guys can figure it out for yourselves. But, I mean, like, let's just be honest, right? I mean, if – and I think it's fair to assume that the stories coming out of New York – do have some authenticity to him and probably are valid, especially when you consider his prior history. They're, they're horrific stories to hear. And, um, you know, I don't think there's a place for a guy like that in the league. The Rangers have already distanced themselves from him. They said he's played his last game as a Ranger. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I can see any other NHL club taking a chance on this guy. I mean, for one, it's horrible publicity to the backlash from, you know, the community as a whole is not going to be favorable. You know, there's just, a, it, it's not a good look for the Rangers organization as a whole. I'd say, I think D'Angelo might be KHL bound or who even knows, you know, um, I don't think he's got an NHL future, definitely nowhere in the short term. If you're talented enough, professional sports leagues will find a place for you. 
and like I mean we see it throughout every sports league it's like total s bags that somehow find a spot on rosters Tyreek Hill comes to mind it's um, just I mean, it's just it there's, gets there's to the tons point of examples that when is enough enough you know right and it's I mean it's just brutal to me that a player like D'Angelo has let it get to this point. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad and it shows just a complete lack of self-awareness. I, I don't know. There's a lot to be said here and I'll let Matt go ahead and do it. <laughs> I might have to channel some Stephen A. Smith here um, oh, boy. because <laughs> there's, there's so much to unpack and none of it's good. None of it's a good look for the league. Because this is a league that has enabled and, in the Rangers' case, promoted this type of person and his actions, his words, and his behaviors for years. And only now, when it became an issue in the locker room, did the team do a damn thing to discipline him? Only when he got into an argument and a physical confrontation with a teammate did it get brought up and did he face the consequences of his actions. I so badly wanted him to be on Twitter for that when he was waived by the team. Oh my God. <laughs> Because this is a person who very clearly has never faced the consequences of his actions ever. Yeah. He is unapologetic and he has been, that's been his entire brand since he was a child playing in the OHL. Yeah. His entire brand was being unapologetic, calling his teammates, officials, whatever, just all sorts of racial slurs probably homophobic slurs too. I can't remember off the top of my head, but let's be honest, knowing the, him. The track record is not good. The track record yeah. does not look good. And you get a guy who, despite knowing all this, has been handed every opportunity and people ragged on the Coyotes for drafting Mitchell Miller this year. And it still doesn't look good on the organization for ignoring Mitchell Miller's actions and ignoring all of the horrific stuff that he did. How bad does it look on your organization, on three organizations actually, and the Coyotes are one of them. Despite all of D'Angelo's issues in junior hockey, all of the issues, and for I, Steve Eiserman to say, well, he was a kid then, um, we're expecting him to grow up. Um, mm -hmm. it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. People like this definitely grow up. No, the hell they don't give him an opportunity. He was a projected what, top 10 pick. He fell to like 18. That's not a punishment. Seriously. Kid's not going to learn from his damn actions by falling eight spots in the draft and pretty much being guaranteed an NHL paycheck. Mm -hmm. Then the lightning trade him absolving themselves of the blame for D'Angelo's problem. They shifted on another team they shifted on Arizona for a second round pick. And I see people saying like, oh, how could you just trade this player for a second round pick? You just drafted him as if they're ignoring all this stuff. And, and then they use it as saying like, oh, but D'Angelo was bad. And I'm like, well, Tampa still got paid to get rid of this problem. Yeah. So 
then you get to Arizona. Arizona trades him as well because he's clearly a problem, had some problems, and I, th- I think in their minor league affiliate um, at one point. And Arizona is absolved of that blame. They push it to the side, let another team deal with it. And the Rangers, they noticed the problems that he was having with teammates in the minor leagues. They noticed the problems he was having with literally anybody. The dude's just the worst. <laughs> and no, for, for the people who are undoubtedly saying that he's being censored for his conservative beliefs, bless your heart that you believe that the actual whitest league (laughs) in North America would condemn somebody with conservative beliefs. No, that's not what this is. And it's not even about, I mean, you could go into the COVID denial, you could go into the, his baseless claims about the election and all this other stuff all of his social media, and as some people are cutely putting it, antics. This is a person who for years has not apologized for his actions, has actually been adamant, and the Rangers knowing all of this and knowing all of the baggage and PR nightmares that come with him decide to promote him and make him and just the toxicity and everything that he brings to their organization as a person into the spotlight for their fan base. So their fan base latches onto it. And all of a sudden you've got, you know, like all of these people acting like Tony and saying, oh, hey, like he's being censored. This is unfair for him without like acknowledging. It's just like a total lack of self-awareness. And the Rangers, realizing now that they're, I mean, in over their heads is an understatement. I mean, they've pretty much hit rock bottom and are still looking for their shovel, are waving him. And he's never going to play another game for the team again. But they're looking for trade partners for him. And they have some, which means that There are other NHL teams out there that are going to excuse this behavior. And that, it's not where the problem lies. I mean, it is, but that's not the only place where the problem lies because unfortunately there's a lot of problems here. And I mean, I can't can't say I'm surprised. I I can't. Um, I can't say I'm surprised that the league would do this. I mean, this is the league that thought that putting end racism on the Jumbotron at hockey games was enough. We did it. Yeah. Like it's over. The NHL ended racism. Um, No, like that wasn't enough. Creating a hockey diversity Alliance was awesome. And a really positive step forward for hockey as a whole. And when the hockey, when they broke off from the NHL, because the, they literally said the NHL was just focused on PR campaigns and slogans. I mean, that's when I knew that the NHL just didn't, it didn't give a shit. And I mean, why would they? It makes them a lot of money to not talk about it. Yeah. And that's a problem. It makes the Rangers a lot of money to have Tony D'Angelo on their team and with his cute little podcast that they've promoted. 
on multiple occasions, despite everybody knowing that there's the problem. Oh, and by the way, if you still think he's being censored, Brendan Lemieux, the guy who was literally his podcast partner, is on the team still. (laughs) And he's just as outspoken about his beliefs. So don't give me that. Like, the NHL, and yes, sports leagues are always going to have a place for these people, and I guarantee you he's off to Bill Peters' team. Absolutely. <laughs> there's not an NHL team spot for him. Bill Peters is snapping that dude up. And what's going to happen is two years from now, an NHL team is going to sign him. Yep, because he's going to go have a couple after of After everybody's forgotten. After the, after the casual fan forget about what Tony D'Angelo did, there's going to be an NHL team that brings him back. I think so too. Never going to be, there's never going to be a consequence for this man. It's just short term. He's going to have to live with it right now until he either gets traded or a KHL team offers him a metric crap ton of money. Yeah. And once he's getting paid in Russia, it's not going to matter what happened to him in the NHL. This isn't a person that's going to learn from this because since he was in the OHL as a child, he hasn't learned from this. What locker room environment do the New York Rangers have right now, especially as important as it is for that franchise right this second with young players like Alexi Lafreniere, Capo Caco, and numerous others, and you've got I mean, we're probably never going to get the full story of the toxicity or whatever crap has been going on in there. But if you've got allegedly Chris Kreider, Alexander Georgiev, whoever it was, sticking a teammate in the face, fighting about goals being allowed, whatever's happening out there, what kind of crap? You got these young superstars that you're trying to build a culture with and build your franchise around, and they're probably sitting in that locker room looking around like, what the hell is going on here? Teammates are like blood in the NHL. So when you've reached a point where you despise your teammate so much that just any comment from him pushes you over the edge to wanting to clock him, you know things have been on the decline there for a while. And the Rangers overlook that, right? They, as a group, their coaching staff should be ashamed. Uh, their management should be ashamed. A lot of people involved should be ashamed with how this has turned out. And yeah. if you let it boil to this point, where now you've got a rift in the locker room. I mean, you've removed the cancer from the locker room. But, you know, who knows if they can recover? And like you said, you've got guys like uh, Lafreniere. You've got former Canes prospect Adam Fox. You've got Julian Apocaco, Julian Gauthier, right? I mean, you've got a lot of good young pieces. A lot of young players. In this room that yeah. you want to grow together. And you've got this cancer in there. And you still got Brendan Lemieux in there, who you know his relationship with. Tony D'Angelo. I mean, you, you've, you've tamed the problem, but have you really patched the problem? I have two things to say, and then we can move on because I think we've talked about this long enough. I just forgot this in my. We've rant covered most wanna, of the bases. Want to slide this yeah. on in here? When Leas Anderson came forward and said that he was being bullied in the Rangers locker room, and that led to all the problems he was having on the ice. What did the Rangers do? They denied it. And traded him. And traded him away. They swept it under the rug 
and let it be. That's the environment they've created. That's what I was. The, they, to they're not exactly. honest. They're not honest. And right. the, when, when, when you said like, we'll get the details when they come out, the details will never come out. It, yeah. The, the Rangers right. are just going to sweep this under the rug and pretend that it was never their problem. And that's an issue as well. We can talk about that another time, but the Rangers are not blameless in this. And it's shameful that they're trying to sweep this under the rug. The last thing I want to say is for the NHL, if you're the NHL, how can you claim that hockey is for everyone? And how can you push this hockey is for everyone initiative when it so very clearly is not for everyone? Like you constantly have people coming out about their stories of racism in hockey, whether it's fans, whether it's players, whether it's officials, whatever. Constantly have that, and usually the problems are swept under the rug. You have male hockey fans literally harassing and sharing locations of female reporters online, and yet you claim that hockey is for everyone. You have so many instances where players use homophobic slurs, where fans, coaches, whatever, and yet you claim hockey is for everyone. It's not. You're using platitudes to try and get a casual market and a casual fan base to say, yes, this is so awesome. This is so great. Yes, this is exactly what we want. No, the league needs, it doesn't even, like fans don't even want actual change. They need it. There needs to be actual, tangible change in hockey culture and the NHL as a whole. Because what we have right now is very clearly not working, and it's driving away people because of all of this. We'll go back to some lighter stuff to wrap this up. Um, Looking ahead, this week we've got uh, two matches head-to-head at Chicago, and then we wrap up on the weekend, well, Sunday, Monday, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Anything you guys are specifically looking to see this week? You know, Chicago is, uh, they're obviously rebuilding now. They're paper thin on the depth chart, at least. I mean, you can never take any opponent lightly in the NHL, right? But I mean, I'm expecting the Hurricanes. We saw that uh, with the Red Wings. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, um, and I, I think they can win both if they keep playing, you know, how they played against Dallas, how they played against Tampa with that level of effort. Special teams have been pretty good. I think pretty good, I'd say, overall. Especially the penalty kill has been strong. And, you know, the defense is – they're playing lockdown as advertised. And, you know, I think there's a lot to, to build off of, of off this last week. And um, it's not going to be easy. I mean, with the condensed schedule, right, I mean, there's going to be – I think they're scheduled to play 53 games in 100 days or something like that. Something ridiculous something like disgusting. that. Yeah. There's something ridiculous like that. And can't take their foot off the gas and um, just got to keep plugging along. But I think um, they showed reason to be optimistic. You were mentioning the condensed schedule, and that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to look at this week is because we do. We play Tuesday and Thursday and then don't play again until Sunday. And obviously we're in the midst of a three days off here or two days off, excuse me. Um, so this is like one of the lightest weeks that we have all season, it seems like, um, which 
hey, who knows if that's even a good thing the way they've looked the last few days. And we talked about the momentum and we talked about how much confidence they look like they're playing with right now, especially guys like Trocek and even, you know, Steven Lorenz and Svechnikov had a great night last night. Even though he was off the score sheet, he was great. Um, you know, you want to see that momentum keep up. And the Hurricanes have had a tendency to play down to some of their opponents at times in the past. So that is kind of something I want to watch out for this week. Um Take two out, take two of twos from Chicago, man. Just do it. Keep the good vibes going in that locker room and let's roll through this damn season. Get to one seed in the Metro or er, <laughs> Metro Central. We're in the Central now. What the we hell are is our in, division? Yeah, the Central Division? The Central <laughs> Division. <laughs> All right, I figured it out. Let me let me give a quick shout out. And uh, Matt, I want your thoughts. How do you guys think uh, Jake Gardner has fared? Because you know what? I think he is playing arguably his best hockey, uh, as definitely I've ever seen as a hurricane the presence he's provided to the defense, especially for that power play two unit that has notoriously struggled over the years, his puck movement, his, his lateral movement on the blue line, you know, walking that line with the puck distributing, you know, his vision overall playing with Brett Pesci. He's been fantastic. Um, You know, there's been a lot of chatter about, you know, maybe if the hurricanes do move on from a defenseman, if it is Jake Gardner, the guy that makes sense, but you know what? With that contract and with how he's played, do you think that Jake Gardner is a guy that the Hurricanes should definitely, you know, be keeping in the mix and maybe even try and give a bigger role to moving forward? If he keeps it up, yes. Um, track record's a little <laughs> iffy, just based on his time in Toronto and last season. Like, yeah. Again, with inconsistency is a terrifying thing but early returns have been great with Gardner um I would like to see more of him especially on the power play but I I just I'm not ready to commit to a full four years of Jake Gardner yet well we've we've got two more after this year right yeah and so I, I I don't know it's just last year was so bad and this year like Definitely, definitely the best hockey he's played as a Hurricane, without a doubt. But, I mean... Well, there's definitely something to be said for comfort level with a team, you know? We've seen it with the Zingo. We've seen it with a lot of the new faces that are, you know, Trocek. He falls into that category as well. They've now been here a while. Trocek's been fantastic. And, I mean, Gardner, it's it's both ends. He's been... Mm -hmm. He looks like he's, you know, making plays on both sides of the puck with conviction. He's... That, what was the one game where he had that stellar defensive breakup and then sprung? I, I wish I remembered exactly who it was, but was he had game. that just. I, I thought it was before the break. Um, anyway, he made a great. Yeah, that was also not before the break. But anyway, <laughs> um, he made a great defensive play with a stick check and then had a stretch pass for somebody for a goal. And I was just like, "Who the hell is this guy? Where has he been all along?" And I mean, obviously, like you guys said, he's playing his best hockey as a Hurricane. I don't think that's a question. Um, let's just hope it continues. Well, it's, I mean, even know, dating back to last both year, of you, essentially. I mean, dating back to last year, when he first came in, there was obviously, you know, the the learning curve, adapting to his new environment. He spent his whole career up to that point in Toronto. You know, so yeah, second half of last year, he was yeah, much better. That's, too. that's what I'm. That's yeah. what I'm getting to. I mean, he had to adjust to the new system, and you know, I thought last year when. You know, you had Dougie go down, you had Pesci go down. And that stretch of games leading up before the initial pause of the season, I thought he, in some, in a, a good number of those games, 
he was up there with the best defenseman on the team and specifically Absolutely. playing with Pesci. He was fantastic last year. You know, maybe him with Pesci is the perfect pairing for them. They seem to complement each other very well. Then you could you could try Flurry and Shea together. They had some moments together last year as well that, you know, look pretty good together, inspire some confidence overall. He's definitely got better and better and better as the contract is aged. And, you know, I think there's still room for him to grow even more, especially as we've seen with him quarterbacking that second power play unit. I mean, he's been nothing short of fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that's fair. And it definitely helps me playing with such a stacked defensive core. I mean, the Hurricanes have so many good options to put him back there with that, like you said, with Pesci, that does complement his game so well. I like where Gardner's at for sure. Um, again, I like where all of these second year quote unquote guys are at. And I mean, it's just, this team looks really good early. I'm trying not to get too high or too low on anybody right now. It's early in the season, it's a weird season. But this team ought to feel really good about what they're at. So the last <laughs> thing I'm going to end on, and then I'm going to wrap it up because I feel like we could just talk about this stuff for, for hours. And I'm going to be yeah. honest, nobody has time for that. It's a miracle that we're even going to have any listeners. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Sorry. Got to keep the expectations Especially low again. Yes, sir. Shaky episode. Yeah, uh, right. We're just getting Off started. We'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of editing for Brandon. Hot take alert. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. The Chicago series. We will see Steven Lorenz playing and Morgan Geeky not playing. Based on performances from the past three games, Steven Lorenz has absolutely earned an extended look with the team. Whereas Morgan Geeky, yes, Geeky was playing with worse players. Wasn't that noticeable? Not saying that that's an indictment on Geeky's play, but it's more of... Lorenz looked really damn good and I'm willing to, and this might, I might be biased. I'm definitely biased, but I think Lorenz earned at least an extended look with the team because of how well he fit in with the system. And I mean, you see Rod speaking highly of him. I think that Lorenz is at least going to play the Chicago series, possibly even Columbus. And he, we might see him kick a, um, seasoned veteran um, with the initials JM off of the uh, NHL roster. I know I will Brandon say. isn't going to disagree with you. <laughs> I know Brandon won't disagree with you. And you know what? I can't either. To be honest, Lorenz, I mean, he's, uh, he's been exactly as advertised, right? And it's based on how he's played. I mean, how can you take him out of the lineup? I don't think, I don't think Martinuk or even Warren Fogle in the first three games of the season you know, showed as much as Lorenz or definitely not enough to justify taking Lorenz out of the lineup based on his last three games for either of them. Can I see it happening? Probably not with Rod's track record. And, you know, Martin wears the A. Yeah, I get it. But if we're talking strictly performance-based, I think Lorenz should be in the lineup ahead of both Fogel and Martin and Geeky. Well, and that was what I was going to say is Fogel might get uh, kicked before Martin Nuke does. That was, I mean, it's just my two cents. You're going to set me up on a tee. You know I'm going to talk about <laughs> Lorenz before we go because I yeah. feel like I haven't talked about him hardly. Like, I barely talked about him during this entire episode. What is even going on here? Well, definitely I mean, we next time we'll have idea. more to talk about because he's going to play. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is we had floated around the idea of 
you know, kind of a segment about has he done enough to earn a spot yet. And I feel like with three games, it's not quite enough sample size, even yeah, with as loud of an impression Very. as he's made. So maybe, you know, next time we meet up, it'll be five or six games. And I feel like, you know, maybe at that time we'll be ready for that conversation. But obviously you guys know I'm on the Lawrence train, Lawrence train for a couple of years now. I mean, he just, he makes winning ass hockey plays. Like you saw that play last night. Been a part of winning hockey teams. Yes. And I mean, it's just. It, it's not a coincidence. You saw that play he made last night to break up a breakaway and not take a penalty somehow. His stick checking is ridiculous for a forward. He's a great skater. He's got great size. He's smart. I mean, we saw his first NHL point, the way he got inside the line. How many players, and not just rookies, how many players on the current Hurricanes roster are catching a puck just inside the red line and dumping it every time without fail? What does Lorenz do? He carries it, gets a clean yeah. zone entry, slows up, earns a little bit of space, just misses on a little saucer pass to Nietzsche's. Doesn't matter. Nietzsche dumps it back out front, finds Trocek for a beautiful He's goal. ridiculous. That's, oh man, Nietzsche's, that's another player. It's all, it's 10 minutes. And if his, it's all confidence and it's all um, just good looks in general. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say before we wrap it up. Um, is that Lorenz is the quintessential Rod Brindamore player. Yeah. Like, he definitely fits perfectly. He's got the size, yes. But more importantly, he has that work ethic and he has the attitude that you want. Not only just the Hurricanes in general, but especially on a Rod Brindamore coach team. And so that attitude is going to carry him a lot farther than maybe even it should might carry him to some shifts on the second line. Like we see with Martinuk every time somebody gets hurt on this team. First line Martinuk right now. Fact of the matter is though, it's like, this is the type of person that you cheer for. This is the type of person you want to see succeed. And I couldn't be happier that he's on the hurricanes right now and getting the shot that he's worked so hard for. And so, on that note, that's the Tracking the Storm podcast. This is who we are. This is what we do. I, as always, exclusively live on Twitter and just post prospect-related things and the occasional joke about Roland McCune looking like Tyler Breeze because he absolutely does. (laughs) Um, Alex, I mean working for like an actual cool blog now like leaving the rest of us behind (laughs) seriously don't forget the little guys eh? yeah right like let's be let's be honest here the hayden flurry hype train will never die i'll be conducting that until he (laughs) until his son is playing on the team oh his son is the future captain of the hurricanes right oh wow ah and then brandon you also do writing follow brandon Yeah, I got the smallest following of the three of us, don't I? Eh? I follow my man, Brandon. Yeah, follow <laughs> at BWStanley26. 26. 26. There you go, bud. Don't forget the numbers. That was always yeah. my hockey number. Can't Here, forget the 26. But folks, we will try to do podcasts as regularly as we can. We really appreciate the love and the support we've received so far. I have no idea where we're putting this on yet. So like us, review us. If you would like to sponsor these three windbags, 
<laughs> know where to find us. Yes, sir. Please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you guys y'all. all so much for we listening, it. for sure. Yeah. And we will see you next, next time when the Carolina Hurricanes have gone on an undefeated streak. <laughs> <laughs>